New Year from Frenemies. I'm Austin, Joel's here, and we are so excited to kick off uh, our 2021 slate with you, starting with some very exciting news that impacts both of our NFL teams. Joel? Yeah, some super exciting news after uh, a lot of interviewing and search for a new head coach. The Chargers have stolen the defensive coordinator that galvanized that Los Angeles Rams defense this year and introduced Brandon Staley as the new head coach of the Los Angeles Chargers, pulling him from their fellow L.A. team and your favorite team, Austin. Yeah, it was pretty incredible what Brandon Staley did in his job as the Rams defensive coordinator in his one and only year. Uh, his hiring wasn't without some minor controversy. I think it caught a lot of people by surprise that Sean McVay was willing to let Wade Phillips go. Obviously, Wade is an NFL coaching legend and had done a really good job, especially in 2019 with the Rams defense. But uh, McVay decided to go out and get Staley, brought him over from the Denver Broncos, where he was a Vic Fangio disciple, was with him on the Bears as well. And Staley's defense, by several metrics, the best um, defense in the NFL in 2020. Some of that is because of the um, skill level on the team. They're they're paying Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey, two of the best at their respective positions, massive contracts to do what they do. But even so, like Donald had another customarily spectacular year. I think you could argue that Jalen Ramsey had a career year at the cornerback position. Um, he especially showed up in big games against the Seahawks with DK Metcalf, the Cardinals with DeAndre Hopkins. And even beyond that, several kind of role players on the Rams had spectacular years. Leonard Floyd, especially on the defensive line. Troy Hill had some big takeaways in the secondary as well. Uh, John Johnson played really well. The other cornerback, Williams, played really well. Yeah, I'm going to get into some stats here. But yeah, I think, Joel, what kind of surprised you? Because I remember um, it seemed like all the noise had been building towards Brian Dable. Uh, and then I remember Al Michaels gets on. He's calling the Bills-Ravens game. And he gets on the mic and says, you know, everyone says Brian Dable is going to the Chargers. I talked to him today and, you know, I'm not so sure. And that kind of caught me off by surprise because Al Michaels isn't someone to say something like that. He's not an insider. He's, you know, he's a sports broadcasting legend. I figured he's not putting himself out there like that unless he really knows something. And sure enough, uh, the day after the Rams season was over, the Chargers, as they put on their social media, got their guy. Right, yeah. It was honestly surprising for, I think, a lot of Chargers fans and just fans across the NFL. It was it was being reported by, by multiple trusted analysts saying that Brian Dable looked like the lead candidate for the job. They had, they had interviewed a number of people. They interviewed Eric Bieniemy from the Chiefs. They also interviewed Robert Sala from the 49ers. And I honestly didn't really have Staley on my radar at all. I was thinking it was probably going to be either Bieniemy or Dable. Um, and then I get an alert on my phone that says the Chargers are going to call in Rams defensive coordinator Brandon Staley for a second interview. I honestly, I should have been tracking it a little better. I didn't know they had interviewed him for the first time. So I see this notification saying he's coming in for a second interview. And then later that night, the report comes out that the Chargers have hired him as their new head coach. So I, I was quick to head to social media and head to all kinds of different things to do some research because I, I was surprised. I was very surprised. I was like, wow, the Chargers went a, a defensive route. I kind of thought they were going to bring in someone to mentor Justin Herbert and help further that offense along that had they did do well this past season. The offense was not the issue. So I'm excited for Brandon Staley. He's a young, energetic coach who's obviously had an immediate impact wherever he goes in just one year with the Rams. They were the league's top scoring defense. 
And I think he has a lot of good pieces to work with with this Chargers defense. Um, and I'm excited to see him have his first shot at a head coaching job. He seems like a very dedicated, hardworking man. Um, he said in his press conference he was going to focus first on relationships, and I really liked that part of his press conference. The relationships built inside that locker room with each other, with the coaching staff, and just trusting that whole process is going to be key for the Chargers. Really a team that underperformed this year with a lot of talent and a bright future in 2021 under new head coach Brandon Staley. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see. I will say this, like I mentioned, the Rams have some real stars on defense. They were a good defense before Brandon Staley got there. But it seems like he really took them to another level. Like you said, they were the lead scoring defense in the NFL. They were the only defense in the NFL to allow fewer than 300 points. They allowed 296 total points on the season. They allowed the fewest passing yards and the third fewest rushing yards. So they were really multifaceted in a lot of areas, which is something you don't see with every defense. The Tampa Bay Bucks, for instance... Uh, allowed the fewest rushing yards in the NFL, but they really struggled in their secondary all season long. And it really isn't until the past couple of weeks, especially last week against the Saints in the divisional round, that we really saw the secondary made an impact for the Bucks. That's something they had been missing pretty much all season long. Um, so the Rams, really good multifaceted defense. Again, not just their stars, but their role players, their secondary guys, not just their defensive front but also um, their defensive backs made a huge difference yeah I'm just really excited to see what uh, Brandon Staley does with guys like Chris Harris and Joey Bosa and Derwin James knock on wood hopefully he's healthy for once and uh, yeah it's gonna be really interesting I think for me Joel I want to get your take on this but the biggest thing for me isn't just who he brings over to kind of run the offense and continue Justin Herbert's development but also how he handles game management, because I know that was a huge problem with uh, Anthony Lynn that helped lead to his firing. Yeah, it, it's going to be interesting. Um, that was a huge, glaring, glaring flaw for the Chargers this year. Um, he comes over, does not have a D coordinator or an offensive coordinator hired yet, so that'll be interesting. I'm not worried about the D coordinator position really at all. Obviously, the guy is a is a wizard when it comes to defense, and you've seen that. I know he's going to hire the best guy for the job. I trust him. But offense, you know, a lot of people, like I mentioned earlier, were thinking they were going to hire an offensive mind to come over and really unlock that full potential. I think the Chargers, as a team and the ownership, made a statement with hiring a defensive-minded coach, um, saying they trust the offense and they, they do like where the offense is at right now. So they, they're going to bring in someone, I'm sure. Um, there's rumors that Pep Hamilton, the former coach of the LA Wildcats. Go Wildcats. <laughs> Go Wildcats, baby. But he came over as the quarterback's coach this year and really groomed Justin Herbert, and he blossomed into one of the best, well, in my opinion, he's a surefire lock, should be, for offensive rookie of the year. He had an amazing year, and the Chargers offense was very explosive at a lot of times during this season. So I think the, the team as a whole just made a statement saying, hey, we're going to focus on this defense because our offense got us points. They got us those leads, and it was game management, and it was defense that lost those leads and ultimately lost us those games. So it'll be interesting to see who the Chargers go with O coordinator. Um, maybe Pep Hamilton, maybe someone from the outside. I know they're interviewing a few people, and we'll kind of see what happens with that. But yeah, the game management is going to be something I will be watching intently because I've ragged and ragged in the past after heartbreaking Chargers losses in this past season on how Anthony Lynn just cannot get the right guys out on the field on like special teams there's not the right amount of people they're allowing punt returns we're the worst special teams we're 
going for it on fourth when you don't think you should and just terrible game management decisions. So Brandon Staley, obviously he's never really coached an offense in that type of game management situation. So it'll be interesting to see who we hire as that O coordinator and his game management skills. But yeah, looking forward to Brandon Staley and his fam coming over. Um, we were making a joke earlier. Um, obviously the Rams are based out of Thousand Oaks and the Chargers are in Costa Mesa. But as far as game day, Brandon Staley will be going nowhere different for home games. He'll be right there at SoFi Stadium. That's true. So not a far move, at least as far as game days go. We'll see. We'll see where if he ends up moving closer to Costa Mesa, where the Chargers are based out of. But yeah, I'm excited. It's a new era for the Chargers, and uh, looking forward to seeing what Brandon Staley does and high hopes for the future. Yeah, I think you said it. Um, he will be going to the same place on game days for sure. For anyone who knows LA, knows that Costa Mesa and Thousand Oaks are not the same place. They are on completely different sides of LA. Uh, to drive from one to the other, I'd say you'd have to leave at least about three hours of travel time, <laughs> uh, especially with traffic. So I hope he and his family uh, are able to move. Orange County is a beautiful place. I'm sure they'll be happy with the move. But for everyone making the jokes, oh, haha, he's not going to have to move. Y'all don't know LA. You're just, you're just showing, you're just kind of uh, exposing yourself there. I will say kind of, you touched on it, big, what I'm really interested to see is whether he keeps on the likes of Pep Hamilton, who did an amazing job as the Chargers quarterback coach, as Justin Herbert's quarterback coach, either in his same role or as offensive coordinator, or if he brings over anyone like, say, Shane Waldron, who's the Rams' highly regarded passing game coordinator under McVay. He's been there for a few years now to help run the offense, because, of course, the Tom McVay offense, maybe not as much of a uh, hot commodity as it was a couple years ago in coaching hires, but still very well regarded around the NFL. So that'll be really interesting to see. Regardless, um, I cannot say enough good things about what Brandon Staley did in his one year as the Rams' defensive coordinator. Um, like I said, the defense was really became the calling card of this team, especially when Jared Goff really struggled down the stretch. Anyone who watched that wild card game against the Seahawks know that the defense won that game for us. But when the when the Rams' defense is humming at the level that Brandon Staley elevated it to, there was really nobody who could. Who could stop them? It was extremely, extremely hard to score on them. Like I said, fewest points allowed, fewest passing yards allowed, third fewest rushing yards allowed, fewest touchdowns allowed. They're the only team in the NFL to have fewer than 20 touchdown, 20 passing touchdowns scored on them all season long. Again, just they were phenomenal, like I said, in every facet of the game on that side of the ball. And I'm really interested to see what... Uh, Brandon Staley brings over to the Chargers in that regard. So yeah, Joel, anything else you want to add? Yeah, just excited for a new era in Los Angeles, new coach. Um, looking forward to seeing what he brings to this team. A lot of talent and hopefully, like you said earlier, hopefully we can get Derwin James back and I think we've got a solid team. We've got the likes of Casey Hayward and Chris Harris blossoming safety Nasir Adderley a couple years ago draft pick. Played really well this season. You've got Melvin Ingram and Joey Bosa. We're going to be getting back linebacker Drew Tranquil, Kaiser White. I mean, I'm just naming off the talent there. It's it's clearly there, and Brandon Staley has shown that he he's shown that he can unlock that talent to a very high potential. Like you said, a lot of the Rams who we probably didn't really know the names of going into this season had great great seasons, um, and that was a lot due to his excellent coaching. So I'm looking forward to seeing those Charger players who have who are good but haven't quite unlocked that great potential, that lockdown potential. I'm looking forward to seeing him 
hopefully unlock that and really get this defense humming. And hopefully I can say at the end of games next year that I can say, hey, the defense won us that game. I, I haven't said that in a while for the Chargers, and I would love to say that um, as well as the offense putting up points. So complimentary football would be huge, and I'm looking forward to seeing that hopefully happen this season for the Chargers. Moving on now, we're going to move over to Major League Baseball, where there is one free agent who still hasn't signed yet, who's kind of dominating the news right now. He's been dominating the news for a while, even before he was a free agent, but uh, because he's a very unique personality, both on and off the field, uh, very special player, very popular off the field, uh, really knows how to leverage social media in a way few other baseball players do. Um, and that's Trevor Bauer, the honorary commissioner of Major League Baseball. There's definitely been a lot of talk that the Angels might be interested. Now there was a report from ESPN's Jeff Passan the other day that the Dodgers might be looking to get interested. He is a native of Southern California, grew up, uh, was uh, so it'll be interesting. It definitely looks like both of his hometown teams are uh, interested in signing him. Yeah, I obviously, as an Angels fan, would love to see some pitching come in and you know, I, I don't know how much I can read into this because social media is like a tricky thing, you know. But on December 4th of last year, uh, Trevor Bauer tweeted out, Hey, at Halos fans, you up? And uh, I, that caught my eye immediately. I said, yes, I, I am up, and I'm excited at that prospect. Trevor Bauer did tweet that. And I don't know if he's just playing with Angels fans' hearts or why he would say something like that, but... I'm hoping that the Angels can make a strong push. They've already added several pitchers. In fact, while we were just recording this podcast, I got a notification saying we signed left-hand pitcher Jose Quintana. So Perry Manazian is making moves. He's making he's cutting he's cutting off some people who who didn't perform for the Angels the past year. Um, Hansel Robles, Noe Ramirez, no longer on the team. Um, you're probably tired of hearing me complain about them, but no more. They're not on the team anymore. So they're bringing in some pitching. Perry Manazian hopefully can make a strong move to bring in Trevor Bauer because that would really just galvanize that bullpen. And he's an electric player, obviously fun to watch on and off the field, and would love to have him in Anaheim. Yeah, I don't know how we both forgot to mention this, but he's also the defending ERA champion and Cy Young Award winner. So, you know, he has that going for him. Yeah, not bad. Yeah, obviously very shortened, weird season uh, in 2020, but still 173 ERA in 11 starts, two complete game shutouts. He also led the league in ERA plus and whip a very, very dynamic pitcher, dynamic personality. Again, he's got Southern California roots, went to Hart High School in Santa Clarita, went to UCLA. It's going to be very interesting to see how this plays out. I know a lot of teams, a lot of fan bases covet him. The Angels, as we've said numerous times on the show, I think probably have the biggest glaring pitching need out of any team that hopes to contend for the playoffs in the near future. From the Dodgers' side, this really makes sense if they want to enter the arms race with the San Diego Padres. Obviously, the Padres already have a young, dynamic core. Some older playoff test of veterans, too, and Eric Hosmer and Manny Machado. They have um, a really good core of position players. Fernando Tatis Jr., obviously, is one of the best young stars in baseball right now. A.J. Preller has been setting the league on fire with not one, not two, but three major blockbuster trades for high-caliber pitching. Former Cy Young winner Blake Snell, uh, former Cy Young finalist and a superstar pitcher in his own right, Hugh Darvish, and then uh, young Pirate starter Joe Musgrove as well. All three great pitchers that really kind of helped ballast the Padres rotation 
along with the likes of Chris Paddock. The Padres are really, really gearing up to take their best shot at the Dodgers next year. I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens in that sense. The Dodgers are obviously the defending world champions. They have a really good core of pitchers in their own right. Their bullpen looks as solid as ever. They did bring back Blake Trinan, which I think is a great move. Uh, They still have Clayton Kershaw. They still have Walker Buehler, who looks like they're unquestioned ace now. Their pitching depth is a little shaky behind that. There's definitely a place where Trevor Bauer could fit, but I don't know if it's necessarily like if the price tag gets to be too much, Andrew Friedman is going to walk away. And that's a tough part is he's always been the type where he's only willing to fully engage with free agents if it makes sense on his end and if he can see like a tangible benefit to not just the team on paper, but in the clubhouse. The only times he's really paid through the nose for free agents a lot of times has been to keep his own guys. Breaking the bank for a guy like uh, Trevor Bauer, especially when you have the Mookie Betts extension, when you have Cody Bellinger and Corey Seager bound to hit free agency before too long. I understand the move. I don't know if it makes the best sense long term. That said, obviously the, the Dodgers championship window is right now. Trevor Bauer would be a huge jolt and help them really stay ahead of the Padres if they feel like they're going to have a tough time doing that with their current core. Yeah, I, I for one, would be sick if he went to the Dodgers. Um, (laughs) You know, it kind of brings up a comparison to a similar sport. Does Trevor Bauer want to pull a Kevin Durant and go to a team (laughs) that's already loaded, or does he want to challenge himself a little? Does he want to come to a team where he would be the clear number one ace? He'd get to work with the best player in baseball, Mike Trout, obviously it'd be it'd be a fun time there in Anaheim, I think, personally. So, you know, does he want to go to a loaded team who already just won the championship, or does he want to try and bring a team into the playoffs and really help out all of baseball by getting Mike Trout into the playoffs? You know, it, 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 it remains to be seen what he will do, but, <laughs> but yeah, that, that Padres team is looking nasty down south. They're looking, they're looking dangerous with the pitching now added to their explosive hitting, so... Dodgers obviously are still the clear favorite with the players on their roster, but it would, as you said, be a big jolt. It would be huge for them to pick up a pitcher like Trevor Bauer. So we'll see what happens on that. And I also I also wanted to just throw in my condolences to the whole Aaron family as one of the greatest to ever do it. Hank Aaron has passed away today at the age of 86. Can't say enough good things about Hank Aaron. He galvanized the sport and was really an example for African-American players, as was Jackie Robinson before him. But Hank Aaron was one of those players who's just transcendent in his generation. So um, thoughts and prayers go out to him as baseball lost a great one today. Yeah, every baseball fan kind of knows who Hank Aaron is, knows what he means to the game. But what I'd encourage you to do is something that um, I got a chance to do earlier today is really research his life story because it's really incredible. He grew up in the South. Um, his family was targeted by the KKK. He has just some incredible moments and memories of growing up in the Jim Crow era in the South and just the horribly racist conditions that America is in many ways still digging itself out of. It really brings you some perspective. He was 86. Uh, if you haven't got a chance also to listen to Vin Scully's incredible call of his 715th home run, which he hit against the Dodgers, I encourage you to do that as well. Just an incredible guy, incredible ambassador for baseball, just like the late Tommy Lasorda, um, but also just an incredible ambassador uh, Hank Aaron was for African Americans in the sport. And I think you know his voice will definitely be missed. 
for our last topic, we'll, we're going to shift over to the NBA. My Lakers are currently 12-4 and four as of this recording with a... Uh, uh, they are first place in the Western Conference. Joel Celtics are 8-5. and five. They've had some COVID issues, most notably with their star Jason Tatum. Uh, but they're still right in the thick of it with the Eastern Conference. It's going to be interesting to see if that remains in the next few weeks now that the Nets have all three of their stars, including James Harden, healthy. But uh, Joel, what are some of your takeaways from the first 13 games of the Celtics season? Yeah, so the Celtics, I believe, I like the pieces that we have, but as you said, we've ran into some struggles with some contact tracing, with some COVID. Um, obviously, we just got Kemba Walker back as he was dealing with some knee issues, had to have a little minor surgery on that that he was recovering for. We knew he wasn't going to be back to start the season, but I've liked what I've seen from, obviously, when Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are healthy, those two are a pretty deadly combo. I mean, they're, they are... As we've said so many times, they're budding superstars in this league, and those two, when they get together, are good. I've liked the contribution. Tristan Thompson's been – he hasn't been great, but he's been good. He's been steady. He's been getting those rebounds. And someone I've also actually been really impressed by, and he actually won us a game early in this year, is the rookie from Oregon, Peyton Pritchard. With those guys being out and with some COVID issues, the rookie's seen a lot more playing time than probably all of us expected. And he's shown a lot of grit, and he scored double-digit points in a few games. And he's in the right place at the right time. He clearly knows the game. So I'm feeling hopeful about it. Um, once we can get Jason Tatum back, obviously, we just came off a pretty embarrassing loss to the Knicks. And I just want to forget that. But Hey, to be fair, so did the Warriors. So you know what? Uh, the yeah. Knicks seem to be somehow embarrassing a lot of people, and I would be more—I would be higher on their long-term potential if I wasn't just looking at NBA leaderboards and seeing that Julius Randle and RJ Barrett were averaging like 42 minutes a game each. So, <laughs> welcome back to the NBA, Tom Thibodeau. Yeah, I don't know how—I don't know how uh, how much they can do that. I don't think that's going to last the entire season. That's not something you can really do consistently. But yeah, yeah, I think the Celtics are fine once we get healthy and hopefully have no more COVID issues. I think Kemba Walker, he had an average game in his first game. His second game back, he had a really good game, but they actually lost both of those. So I think we really do need Jason Tatum back. I, I think his absence is is very evident out on the floor and that's not to make excuses we still got to win games we got to play better but hoping to get him back soon and i think we have the right pieces um together to make a good run in the east as we're even with that eight and five record just a game out and with a win um in a game that's actually happening right now against the 76ers with a win there we'd move into first place in that tight east conference so um feeling good feeling excited about the rest of the season and think that the Celtics are going to remain a top four team in the East going into the playoffs, most likely if all things hold up. Yeah, no, I think the Celtics are definitely right there knocking on the door in the uh, upper tier of the East. Obviously, the Nets are going to be the overwhelming favorites to come out of the East now. But you know what? That team is kind of being assembled on uh, the fly there. You kind of hear the, the phrase that you're trying to um, build an airplane in flight. Uh, that's kind of what the Nets are kind of doing with their current roster construction. Obviously, they had to kind of move heaven and earth to bring James Harden to Brooklyn. So a lot of talent there. We'll see how that goes. But uh, I do think, you know, the Celtics are still one of the better teams in the Eastern Conference. Will it ultimately matter? Eh, I'm not sure. Um, I think that, uh, you know, if there's one thing Danny Ainge is good at, it's talking about how he almost traded for a star before not actually trading for a star. So um, we'll see. We'll see what happens between now and the trade deadline and the playoffs. 
Over on the Lakers side, um, I'm currently working on an article for Lakers Outsiders called 16 Numbers Through the First 16 Games. I think the biggest takeaway from this has been, uh, obviously, LeBron, LeBron James is near is at or near the top of the NBA player leaderboards in a lot of categories uh, because he's LeBron James, even at age 36. I don't think that's a huge surprise. What is surprising to me is I've talked on this podcast and I've written about how I believe, okay, the Lakers are going to load manage the heck out of their stars after the short turnaround. They played all the way through the bubble. They fought tooth and nail against some really feisty uh, teams in Houston and Denver and Miami uh, to bring home that title. LeBron and AD especially are going to need some breaks, are going to need some rest, especially early on in the season. Well, we're 16 games in, and LeBron James it has played the fourth most minutes in the NBA. So, I don't know, man. I don't know if he's just looking at his body and saying let's let's keep this going let's you know i i feel healthy i think we can do it i think you know i just he's at the age now and i you know i witnessed this with another general generational superstar in kobe bryant is where yes these guys can will their bodies to do some amazing things even in their mid-30s but ultimately it can be a ticking time bomb we saw that with kobe bryant's achilles in 2013 we saw it to a lesser extent with LeBron's groin his first year uh, with the Lakers in 2018. That's my fear right now because LeBron James is so, so important and he's made himself so important to uh, the Lakers organization, especially on the court. He looks amazing. He's clearly facilitating the entire team's offense right now. Even Anthony Davis came out today and said, basically, I'm sucking right now. I, I'm not playing well. The Lakers are still 12 of four, and a big reason for that is LeBron James. So that begs the question is, does LeBron James slow down at all? And if so, does this Lakers team that spent so much, went out, made a bunch of moves to add more depth, can they sustain uh, LeBron starting to sit games here and there? That's going to be the real interesting thing to see. We just saw a great performance uh, last night in Milwaukee. They've shown they can beat some title contenders. They've also had some really tough performances against other playoff teams like the Clippers uh, and the Warriors, especially on Monday night. That was a disappointing game. But I think the ultimate question for the Lakers right now, how, how long does this go? How long does LeBron James basically stiff arm father time yeah yeah it looks like all our predictions have been a little wrong on that yeah I mean, no obviously kidding. we expected him to sit out a, a good amount and do a lot of load management and then play off lebron you know as the term is but yeah he's been he's he's gunning for mvp i feel like he he felt disrespected last year and we talked a little bit about this um when we had harrison fagan on on the pod a few episodes back he he's gunning for it it appears and he's playing he's playing elite caliber it does remain to be seen whether he can kind of keep that up and whether father time as you said will catch up with him but he's playing good basketball right now and you know as the as the term goes why fix something that ain't broke you know he's he's feeling good he's playing well and he's he's leading his team to wins as they're first in the western conference so i think things are looking up for the lakers as they have Nice new additions. Dennis Schroeder has looked good so far this season. And, yeah, Lakers looking like the 
contender out of the West, but a very competitive West. Could go could go a number of ways with some good-looking teams like the Phoenix Suns. The Warriors starting to gain a little momentum. Clippers obviously still a good team. The Nuggets and Utah Jazz, some good teams out of the West. So it's going to be an exciting Western Conference for sure, and we'll see if the Lakers can maintain that top spot. But I think right now you gotta you got to look at them as the favorites for sure out of the West at least. Yeah. No, I think you're I I think you're absolutely right. And I think that yeah, I think the Lakers are in good position regardless. I'm just right now my main concern is LeBron James and to a lesser extent Anthony Davis's health. Davis has been resting more frequently. Um so he's also far younger, but yeah, I'd I'd say, you know, the Clippers I I think they quietly after such a disappointing year those moves uh to install Ty Lue as the head coach to bring in Serge Ibaka in place of Trez Harrell who went to the Lakers the Clippers quietly retooled and upgraded in all the ways they need to so I still think they are a serious threat to the Lakers um but yeah right now it seems like the Lakers are the favorite to at least come out of the west if not if not make a run all the way to the title yeah definitely and you knew you knew you knew you couldn't get me off this podcast Without talking about Philip Rivers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let's spend some time. Let's wrap this up by talking about the greatest tra- quarterback in Chargers history, besides Ryan Leaf, of course. <laughs> That's a good one. Ryan Leaf is the, the biggest bust to come out of the Chargers, but Philip Rivers, undoubtedly the best quarterback to ever throw it for my San Diego Chargers. He was a San Diego Charger longer than he was anything. I'm going to refer to him as a San Diego Charger. But a lot of people have been talking in the wake of his retirement. He's number 17 and retired after 17 seasons. Uh, coincidence? I don't know. Um, but a lot of people have been debating whether they think he's a Hall of Famer. He's obviously lacking that really important thing with his a Super Bowl trophy. He doesn't have any of those. But let me just read you some stats about Philip Rivers that may make you change your mind about being on the fence about whether he's a Hall of Famer. Please do. Philip Rivers all-time ranks. He is 12th in passing yards per attempt at 7.8. He is also 12th in passer rating with a 95.2 passer rating over his career. He is 6th all-time in passing attempts. He threw 8,134 passes. And he's 5th in a number of categories. He is 5th in touchdown passes with 421. He's 5th in passing yards with 63,440. And he's also 5th in completions with 5,277. And I think the stat that defines Philip Rivers the most, his grittiness and toughness, he is second all-time in consecutive regular season starts with 240. He hasn't missed a game since 2006. That's crazy. I think the crazy, the only thing crazier than that stat, which is absurd in its own right, is the fact that not only did he not miss a bunch of, you know, all those regular season starts in the playoffs, he came back and played in the AFC Championship game in New England with on one ACL. He literally he had a torn ACL. He played an entire playoff game on a torn ACL, something that is unheard of for 99.9% of like all major athletes. He's an incredibly gritty guy incredible dude i also love um one of the things that was pointed out is that when he did break the news of his retirement he gave the story exclusively to uh one of the longtime sports columnists in san diego who doesn't even cover football anymore he moved back to covering the the padres full-time after the chargers left for la and 
but he was still the guy who Rivers called up and gave the story. Um, on January 20th, which wasn't only Inauguration Day, but also the day of, I believe, I need to look up, the, it's the Catholic Saint uh, of Athletes. Um, it's supposed to be the, the holiday for that dude. Rivers, obviously, a devout Catholic, so even that the day symbolized a lot to him. Best of luck to him in his uh, career coaching high school football in his home state of Alabama. Uh, I can just imagine him as the passionate, loudmouth high school coach right now. That that will be a joy to see. I'm sure we'll see some some fun highlights of that in the coming uh, months and years. But yeah, yeah, something that I'm looking forward to. Uh, I don't know if they do at the high school level, but whenever they would mic up Philip Rivers, man, it was one of the most entertaining things. He's as you said, a devout Catholic. He never said a swear word on the field that I ever heard, at least while he was mic'd up, but he was famous for his dad gummit. He would say that whenever <laughs> something would happen wrong or shoot or like, that makes me mad as a biscuit. I mean, he, <laughs> he, he said so many as a true Southern boy. He said so many, so many hilarious, hilarious things, and he would trash talk too. A lot of people got a little riled up by him. He meant no harm, but I mean, I remember one time he – he threw a touchdown and uh, he got helped up by a Jaguars defender. And right as he got, uh, right as he got picked up from him, he just yells right in his ear, "That's ninety yards!" <laughs> and he's like, "Man, don't do that to me!" And the, the ref came over, is like, "Philip, you got it." He's like, "I'm allowed to celebrate." That's just the type of guy he was. He didn't mean any harm by it, but man, he would trash talk. He would let people know. Even just this season, they were they were playing against I forget who it was, but he was talking about number twenty eight, Jonathan Taylor, and he was. He was down doing a hard count, trying to draw an offside, and as as he's doing that, he he just points at the linebacker and says, "28, turn the corner on you, buddy." And he's just that's just the type of player <laughs> Philip Rivers was. He was always talking, but he also let I the he also let the play do the talking. The greatest to ever do it for the Chargers, and in my lifetime, I started beca- I became a Chargers fan while Drew Brees was there, but the majority of my time as a Chargers fan was in that Philip Rivers era. So. As a new era begins for the Chargers under new head coach Brandon Staley and new star quarterback Justin Herbert, um, sad to see a great one go. He'll be missed, but Phillip Rivers, salute to 17. Phillip, you'll always be loved by the Chargers fans. Um, and so much respect and looking forward to his future. Doing one of his dreams, he talked about, he said, my two dreams growing up were playing in the NFL and coaching high school football. Well, he had one of the greatest careers we've seen a quarterback have in the NFL, and now he's going to live out his second dream, coach high school football. So best of luck to Phillip yeah. Rivers, and uh, much respect and love from all Chargers fans and NFL fans. I'm sure we'll see his number honored in SoFi Stadium one of these days. Uh, fun little thing to end the podcast with. This is a tweet by J.J. Watt uh, after the news broke that Rivers was retiring. Um, quote, I'll never forget lining up for a play one time and Phil pointing towards one of our linebackers and telling him he was lined up wrong based off the blitz we were about to run and being 100% correct about it. One of the smartest I've ever played against and a hell of a competitor. And then he corrected himself to heck of a. Right down to the correction, that probably uh, encapsulates Philip Rivers the best, obviously from another great player and great person in the NFL and J.J. Watt. That's all from us today. Um, you can follow me at Austin Green 44 on Twitter, Austin Green on uh, Instagram. You can follow Joel at the Joel Asher on both Instagram and on Twitter. And follow Frenemies Pod on uh, Twitter and Instagram. That is at Frenemies Pod, all one word on Twitter and Instagram.